Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton paramedics are pleading with residents to only call an ambulance in an emergency. A McMaster professor says the COVID-19 pandemic will end when we fix the global vaccine supply. We chew on some hot topics in the Good Morning Hamilton roundtable. Music commentator Eric Alper joins us to discuss the biggest music stories of 2021. And Hamilton is 11th on the list of most expensive rental markets in Canada. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It's kind of hard to believe. Well, maybe it isn't. Maybe the word is sad to think that a public awareness campaign needs to be launched to, uh, you know, inform residents when and when not to call 911 for an emergency. I mean, there might be some gray area, especially if, you know, you've encountered a crisis and you're not thinking straight. So, you know, a public awareness campaign can't hurt. That's for sure. Here to talk about it is the Chief of Hamilton Paramedic Services, Michael Sanderson. Good morning, Michael, and welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, so is the situation, um, because we need a public awareness campaign, is the situation dire? Is it getting out of hand? Are people calling in in droves with non-emergent situations? Well, I wouldn't say that they're calling in in droves with non-emergency situations, but the, the challenge is some people are calling with non-emergencies, and it seems that the, the awareness across the public, uh, I'm not sure if it's a generational thing or if it's a lack of social support uh, in the activities, but, but some people really don't know what to do in an emergency. You know, I'm often reminded people need to take a first aid course. People need to take uh, something that teaches them how, for example, to, to treat a minor bleed. Uh, somebody's, you know, had a small laceration on their finger. That They don't need to call an ambulance for that. Uh, they, they should know how to deal with that, that whole process. I mean, bleeding is controlled pretty easily with rest, elevation, and direct pressure. If it's not major bleeding, uh, and when I say major bleeding, it's uncontrolled, unable to control it with pressure or rest and, and elevation, uh, then call an ambulance for that, obviously. Uh, uncontrollable bleeding is really an emergency. But, you know, minor lacerations, uh, some of the challenges that our paramedics face in terms of the types of calls, which, of course, we're then transporting to hospital uh, and, and creating additional challenges on the hospital end. So, so no, it's not a, a, a crisis in the process, but we continue to have these calls, and I think during the pandemic those calls have increased. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, there's a long list of examples that you've encountered and paramedics in the city have encountered that are non-emergencies. You gave a couple of examples in terms of cuts or bleeds. Is, is there a more common uh, call to 911 where it's not really an emergency? Well, the one that really our paramedics will talk about most often is uh, that generally unwell call, where, where somebody's just not feeling well and they want to have themselves checked over. Hmm. Uh, and the generally unwell call, if it's not a life-threatening emergency, you should be contacting your family physician. You can contact telehealth. Uh, it's pretty frustrating for the paramedics when they're sent out lights and siren based upon the dispatch information, and they arrive on the scene and the patient's outside of the house or outside of the apartment building with their suitcase ready to go to the hospital. Jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And that happens. I'm, I'm not kidding at all, Rick. That does happen on a fairly regular basis. Wow. If a, an ambulance responds to a scene, do they have to take the patient to hospital? Is that a requirement? Well, it is a requirement. Under the uh, the legislation and the patient care standards, the Ministry of Health uh, mandates that the process, our, our paramedics cannot refuse to take somebody to the hospital because of uh, what their challenges are, their problems. Instead, if the patient refuses to go, uh, we can have them sign off as a refusal uh, however, we're not allowed to refuse to transport them to hospital in that process. Uh, there is some work underway with the Ministry of Health to create some opportunities, and we're starting to get into things like palliative care and some better, more appropriate ways of treating people on 
seen. Uh, but it's still a situation where if they want to go to the hospital, we take them to the hospital. If an apparent crisis were to arise, uh, we know that in times of crisis, some people don't think clearly. Um, before calling 911, what should be going through someone's mind? Is this a life-threatening emergency? Is it really a life-threatening emergency? If it's not a life-threatening emergency, think about your other options. Think about calling, uh, for example, a mental health emergency, calling 211. Uh, 211 has stuff available. Uh, talking to the province of Ontario Telehealth Network. Uh, it's a great medically driven uh, system that ends up giving good advice and links people into the right resources. So uh, clearly, if you think it's an emergency, we're going to be there and we'll do the best that we can in the circumstances. However, we just want people to think about what call they need to make. Our guest is Michael Sanderson, Chief of Hamilton Paramedic Service. Uh, it has launched a public awareness campaign to encourage residents to call an ambulance only in an emergency. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Some stats from uh, HPS. Uh, you guys have responded to an average of 266 dispatch calls a day. Less than 10% of the calls are actually life-threatening emergency situations. Th- that's a lot of non-emergent situations that you're dealing with, and that really takes away from uh, paramedics who are going to be called to uh, an, uh, an emergency situation. Yes, that's the case. And, you know, the reality is some calls uh, we don't know and the people don't know. Motor vehicle accidents, for example, sometimes end up resulting in no patient carried or minor injuries. Uh, so, so some of those calls are pretty normal, and that's always been the history. But the reality is when people are calling an ambulance for something they, they should know that is not an emergency, uh, they're taking away the availability of that ambulance resource for people that are having a, a true critical or a life-threatening emergency. Uh, that's one of the concerns and one of the things that we've been seeing happen on an increasing basis through the pandemic. Obviously, that uh, results in longer wait times for ambulances when there is a real emergency, um, uh, putting pressure on the hospital system as well. Has has the situation uh, been intensified? I don't want to say got, gotten worse, but has, has it been intensified during the pandemic? Yeah, it has been intensified during the pandemic, and I think that's been partially a challenge as uh, the difficulties accessing primary care. Primary care physicians are not all working in their offices now. Uh, people may not have that level of linkages. Uh, some of the urgent care centers are not working at full capacity, and certainly some of the walking clinics aren't working at full capacity. So, yeah, I think people are not quite sure what to do sometimes. Uh, uh, there have been some challenges, and uh, uh, hopefully we'll get through this whole process. How are paramedics doing during this pandemic? It must be tough. It's extremely tough. Uh, paramedics have been running, and, and they've been stepping up and doing everything they can to support the community, from looking after home care patients, uh, doing additional duties. Uh, the acceptance of overtime has been significant. But like everybody else in the community, after you know 21 months of, of dealing with a pandemic, they're tired. Uh, they're, they're going through the challenges. Uh, some of them are experiencing uh, some of the mental health crises that uh, you would experience in any community. Uh, like any other healthcare practitioner, uh, we're really running at the very end of our rope right now. Well, we wish you and the staff and all the paramedics at uh, Hamilton Paramedic Services nothing but the best, especially over the holiday season. And hopefully 2022 is a much clearer path to uh, resolving this issue of uh, more and more calls being made as uh, non-emergencies arise uh, to uh, just sticking with uh, those true 911 calls. Um, Michael Sanderson, thanks for the time today. Um, Happy holidays and all the best in the new year as well. Happy holidays. If I could leave you with fun seeing Rick, please make sure people wash their hands, wear a mask, make sure they distance, and please, please, please make sure you get the shot. It does work.
Well said. Thank you very much. Have have a Merry Christmas, Rick. You too. Thank you, Michael. Michael Sanderson, Chief of Hamilton Paramedic Services. Uh, Again, if it is an emergency, chest pain, difficulty breathing, serious accidents or trauma, extreme pain, uh, large burns, severe, uncontrollable bleeding, uh, yes, call 911. Other things, uh, you have some other options at your disposal. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I know this is not the situation any of us wanted to be in, especially during the holiday season. But it's clear Omicron will not take a holiday. These measures will give us time to continue to vaccinate more Ontarians with booster doses that provide an additional layer of protection against Omicron. That is Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. Kieran Moore, telling us about the new reality of the Omicron variant and how things are now a little bit different, but a little bit the same, if you catch my drift, in terms of uh, one step forward and it feels like two steps back. And now new analysis from a couple of researchers at McMaster University suggests COVID-19 vaccine inequality allowed Omicron to emerge. Dr. Don Bodish is an associate professor at McMaster University, an immunologist and a Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dr. Bodish. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It is a great article that I found online, and uh, I'll I'll read a little excerpt and then ask you a question about it. While people in the wealthy West have had preferred access to multiple rounds of vaccines, vast numbers of people, especially in Africa and on the Indian subcontinent, haven't received a single dose. This has permitted the virus to thrive and accelerate the process of mutation, adding months and perhaps years to the pandemic. That sounds ominous. It is a bit ominous, actually. And, you know, when Omicron came out, I remember the day the sequence of the virus was released, and I was looking through all the mutations listed, and I had this terrible feeling in my gut because these were exactly the types of mutations we would have predicted if the vaccine was allowed to sit in somebody who was immunocompromised or maybe under-vaccinated, maybe only had one dose, somebody who didn't have perfect immune uh, immunity and was able to sit in that person for a long enough time to develop Uh, mutations that would evade that imperfect immune response. So we know that, you know, when the SARS-CoV-2 first hit, I was cautiously optimistic that we might be able to deal with it because the coronaviruses are slow mutators by comparison to influenza. So we had a vaccine, it worked really, really well, but then we had the alpha variant and it worked a little less less well. We had the delta variant, it worked a little less well, and now we have Omicron and we are desperately in need of the third shot. So you know, we don't call them by their country of origin anymore because, uh, you know, we used to have the UK and the Brazil, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, statistically, these uh, variants are going to arise in places where the, the virus runs rampant. More virus means more chance for a mutation to occur and then that to be passed back. So many scientists, including myself, have been calling for really judiciously using vaccines here and only using them when they were required and making sure we lived up to our international obligations to share them with the rest of the world. Because had we been able to go when we still were working on the original strain and vaccinate the world, we probably would have uh, been able to put this all into the rear view mirror. But unfortunately, that just hasn't been the case. So is it safe to say that until we get the global vaccination rate up to whatever the number is that this virus is going to run rampant for years potentially years to come yeah it could be i mean i think we've got two things that have really changed the uh the idea that this pandemic will never 
end, the virus will never disappear. Those two things are, one, it can live in animals. So anytime a virus can live in animals, that means that occasionally it will transfer back to humans. And two, we do not have the global will to uh, to really fully vaccinate the rest of the world yet. I, I hope we will get to that point. But until we do, if, we, if we're living with a population where there's many unvaccinated or under-vaccinated people, that's clearly sufficient for the virus to develop mutations and then start transmitting through the rest of the world. So it's all or nothing. We're not safe until everybody's safe. And I think Canada really has to take a good look in the mirror and make sure we live up to our international commitments to help the rest of the world. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Don Bodish, Associate Professor at McMaster University and a Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity, uh, co-wrote an article called uh, COVID-19 Vaccine Inequality or Inequity Allowed Omicron to Emerge. Shandrima Chakrabarty also on uh, this article. And in, in uh, one aspect to the article, you are encouraging regional manufacturing. Are we equipped to do this? Are we close? No. You know, when I was a wee baby PhD student in 2005, I was graduating and I had offers from vaccine manufacturers, because that's where young immunologists go, um, across Canada. That We had lots of manufacturing. We've lost that manufacturing and uh, many of it's been localized in Europe and the U.S. And so we need two things. One, as Canadians, I think we really need to invest in our own manufacturing. But we also need to help uh, other parts of the world. There are countries in the world that are producing vaccines to be sold to the Europe and North America uh, when they have such an incredible need locally. So distributing vaccine know-how uh, across the world and vaccine centers across the world. And, and I really believe that um, Canadians are, are kind, forward-looking people. And I think we could really weave this into our own rebuilding. We could help train people from the rest of the world. It's not like you can just build a vaccine factory and fill it. I mean, you need people with highly uh, trained skills and PhDs and, and higher degrees. So these things take a lot of time. But if we committed to helping train people from other parts of the world and bringing that know-how back with them, if we committed to developing vaccines that are far easier to transport and to share with the rest of the world, if we really, this is an opportunity for us to become leaders in vaccine equity. And to be honest, I think the Canadian public would be really supportive of that. Dr. Bodish, thank you for sharing your vast knowledge on this topic. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best over the holidays as well, and we'll chat with you in 2022. Absolutely. Take care. Dr. Don Bodish, Associate Professor at McMaster University, an immunologist and a Canada Research Chair in Aging and Immunity. And uh, one of the other things that they wrote is, uh, you know, once the vaccine doses are in Canadian freezers and fridges, they're not going anywhere. So refusing to get a, a booster shot, for example, thinking that your shot is potentially going to go to another country uh, in, uh, in in Africa or, or, or whatever the case is, it doesn't really happen that way. Once it's here... It is here. So don't refuse the shot thinking it's going to go somewhere else and solve the inequality problem. Doesn't work like that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. All right, enough of that. This is Good Morning Hamilton's Roundtable on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Paul and Shona also with us. Are you apologizing for that song? No, kind of, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, sort of. Oh, gee. You know... It's one, it's one of those... I love the song. 
But I can only hear it once, and that's it. And that's the one time. It's over. You're it was only part of the song. It was only part of the song, yeah. I, it's like, I don't think the words, I love the song, and I can only hear it once, <laughs> combined, you know? I love the song only once, one time of the year, one time yes. each year. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to this song and what we're talking about in a matter of seconds, okay. but... Uh, I got to ask you guys, okay. have you ever called 911 for a situation that turned out not to be an emergency? No. I, well, I guess, I mean, I thought it was an, yeah, sort of, I think. Okay. Is that, I thought it was an emergency. Like, I was actually with someone who passed out in their food. Like, they went, bam. Oh, wow. Right as I was speaking. And they did end up spending a great deal. Of, they spent a whole bunch of time in hospital, but it turned out to be a really minor thing. I oh. know. So is that an emergency or not? I mean, yeah. I'm I, sitting yeah. chatting with them, and I said, "Oh, you kind of look gray." And they went, "Well, I don't feel very." Boom. No way. And they went down. So, yeah. Now it, it turned out to be actually a really small thing that it that it affected them. But, right. but uh, so it wasn't like food poisoning. Like no, what you were food eating. Poisoning. It was basically dehydration, oh, which wow. is a weird. Yeah, and down he went. <laughs> but in front of me at the time, all I was thinking is, I just put prepared a beautiful bowl of soup. Well, <laughs> you know, if it's a bowl of soup, and you've destroyed what, kind, it. Well, what you've... kind of an epitaph is it that this person drowned in a bowl of soup? Wow. <laughs> well, I was able to yank his exactly. head out of the soup. Before. It's like, it sounds like an episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> there was no blood, however. Yeah. So I, yeah. I got to come clear. Go ahead. Well, okay. I, I heard your interview <laughs> with, yes. with uh, Mr. Sanderson, and I have taken an emergency first aid course yep. and CPR courses. So you're so ready. I, well, it was years ago, but I think I do know the difference yes. between an emergency and a non-emergency. Well, yes. you know, my neighbor did have one thing that I thought was an emergency. He cut two of his fingers off with a chainsaw. Oh! So I screamingly yelled, I'm calling 911, I'm calling 911. And his his wife came out and said, oh, don't be silly. What? Very calmly (laughs) wrapped it in a cloth and they drove to the hospital. Really? I thought that was an emergency. Yeah. That it wasn't. And then when she was at emergency, the doctors agreed, this is not a life-altering situation. You did wrap it. There was no rapid bleeding. And uh, we were able to... My job was to fetch the finger, oh, no. oh. which I couldn't do. So <laughs> another neighbor did that. <laughs> wow! Not yeah. even with a pair of tongs. Yeah, and then the wife was so, oh no, this isn't an emergency, and then drove him off to the hospital. Oh. Now her reaction tells me that this—you know—th- terrible things have happened to her husband she, in the past. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, no that's not the worst she had of it. Taken a first aid course like a week and a half before. Oh really? Said, no, oh, no, this wow. doesn't, wow, what this are doesn't the fall into the yeah. emergency category. <laughs> <laughs> Would you pick up the fingers like doggy poop? I you have your bag in your hand. I can assure well, you, you I have not gone near a chainsaw since. I hear those things and I run. Yikes. Yeah. 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 My yeah. husband had to go to the ER one time because he was using a table saw oh. and he, he uh, his thumb was. Oh. And I get to the ER and the nurse goes, oh, yeah, him. He's with the other bright boys in the thumb room. No. <laughs> <laughs> ER nurses have always the right amount oh, of Oh, they've sympathy. seen it all. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I've used a chainsaw once. I remember taking down some branches in my backyard from the neighbor's tree. So here I am on the roof of my garage cutting branches from my neighbor's tree. It was overhanging into yeah. my uh, backyard. And... Uh, Trying to avoid the power line at the same time. <laughs> and Very not important. Too far forward. Yeah, so that could have been an emergency, but it wasn't. Yes. Is this the same neighbor about which we have? No, this is a different before. neighbor. Okay. Yeah. So did you call one? I, I yeah. not not in this case. I didn't call nine one one because I was 
relatively safe there in, in that juncture. But there was a time, and this is probably a couple of summers ago, where I look out my front window and I think, oh my gosh, like this is an emergency. One of the power lines, because we have the power lines that are above ground, um, was dangling from the power line area and was kind of wafting in the wind. I thought, okay, someone's going to get electrocuted and, and get killed here. So I call 911 and uh, the polite lady is like, uh, call um, electric utilities. So I end up, so obviously not an emergency. <laughs> call electric utilities. They say, no, you got to call Rogers because that's their line. So I call Rogers. No, you got to call Bell. That's their. And I'm like, what? Can someone just please fix this <laughs> yeah, really, darn really? wire here? How did they know which wire it was? <laughs> I have no idea. I guess it's the location of where it is. Yeah. No, that's not ours. You got to call somebody else. Yeah. So eventually, like three weeks later, I'm not even sure who came out, but I, I come home and the wire's gone. It's fixed. So there you go. My non-emergent situation. Yeah. yeah no. Three weeks this thing's dangling in the wind. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm thinking someone's going to get <laughs> roasted here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, okay. Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. You heard it off the top here. It has gone from number two to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart. It's the first time any song has gone to number one during three distinct runs in 2017, 2019, and 2020. However... It's not one of my favorite Christmas songs. As I mentioned, I can hear it once. I'm good. Any more than that, I'm pushing the panic button. <laughs> so wait a minute. It went number one in what, in what years? In 2017, 2019, 2020. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because I, I guess it didn't go number one when it came out, which is kind of weird because it came out well before that. 2017. Yeah. Um, maybe on a different chart. I don't know. So it begs the question, is there a Christmas song that you just cannot stand? You hear it on the radio. You're like, no, click, turn the channel. You better oh, yeah. go, Shona, because mine, I have a very I have it queued up, yeah. my friend. You have it queued up, okay? I have it queued up. Give us a taste. Simply yes. having a wonderful Christmas time. Yeah. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. If you had the money the of Paul McCartney, yep. you would have wonderful Christmas times every year. If you didn't, <laughs> don't know what's wrong. But no, I'm, I'm just, yeah. That's on my list. Yeah, if you've seen the docu series Get Back on Disney Plus, he keeps pushing. We should have a Christmas song. They're like, nope. <laughs> oh, Dizzy, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so well, as a Beatle, they, yeah. he wanted oh, a Christmas yeah. song. We should do a Christmas song. I They're could like, not nope. see John Lennon singing that. No, song. <laughs> Paul. Paul, what's on your list of Christmas uh, songs you can't stand? Can I be Bah Humbug? Can I yeah, be like, definitely. I can't stand virtually any of them. Oh uh, my, I, scandalous! I I, to me, it's just nothing but a big, huge money maker for this. Music industry, yeah. they got to come out with. I mean, listen to what Paul McCartney came Ugh, out with. I know, it's Lord. gross. This is a huge money making operation. Yeah. I like the old Christmas carols, quite frankly. You hear them once in a blue moon. Some of this stuff that they're coming out and they're calling Christmas oh, music is atrocious. Yes. Mind you, I also don't like the Hallmark greeting card movies. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that's. You uh, don't want to come to our house no, then because no, that's I, on. I, and when I it, think. They're pushing a lot of this schlock because there are so many radio stations that start playing this stuff. Yeah. Exactly, because it's big money. So here's how I, I mean, I don't know a lot of the songs because I refuse to listen to those radio stations. So If, if Paul is saying all of them, can I have one more? Yeah, sure. That's the other one. <laughs> We're on the same page here. Oh, yes. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's is that it. Wham, though? Yes. Yeah, Last could, Christmas. But yeah, that that's about as good as all their songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Hey, before we go, the Christmas music, or the Christmas oh, music, right. the Christmas movie madness championship final is today. A Christmas Carol 
versus National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Paul, your vote. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's my vote. Shona? That's what I think is going to win. Is yeah, that but is that your vote? Is that your vote, though? <laughs> no. Oh, going but I, Christmas Carol. But I know that it's probably Christmas Vacation. I'm also going with Chevy Chase and the gang. Christmas Vacation uh, is my vote. Uh, we shall see how it all breaks down. The final results will be announced tomorrow. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. All week this week and uh, parts of next week as well, we are going to look back at some of the big stories of 2021. And today, yesterday we focused on sports. Today, we're focusing on music as we look back at what was an incredible year in the entertainment industry, music-wise. Eric Alper is our guest. He's a music commentator and publicist. Eric, what was the biggest music story of 2021? I think if you're talking about specific artists, I would probably say that for new artists, it's BTS and the rise of social media, especially TikTok, in being the dominant way that consumers are listening to music. And I think if you're a little bit older, I'm kind of leaning towards the Beatles. I think the (laughs) fact that after 50 years, this band is still taking away the headlines from everybody, younger what they do. You saw Paul McCartney's new album, McCartney 3, um, blow up on the charts. They have obviously the Get Back documentary that was whittled down from 50 hours of video and 120 hours worth of audio into an eight-hour documentary that literally changed the way that we, uh, the greatest, in terms of business-wise, the fact that the music industry was able to not only survive, but thrive through the last um, 12 months of the pandemic, where the recording music industry grew about 7%. So roughly about $2 billion U.S., and it's net about $31 billion around the world. So the fact that when you take away all of the touring and all of the, the ways and means that artists would be able to make their income, the fact that record labels and, and everybody else seems to be making money off of music is has to be, I think, one of the big story here. Uh, I was kind of thinking it, and and the music didn't die. You know, the way we consumed it may have been a little tweaked here and there. You mentioned TikTok, and that was the other thing that I was thinking about, is artists are now using this social media phenomenon, for lack of a better word, to get their product out there. Uh, it's just the the continuance and the emergence and the escalation of how we are consuming music was my big story of 2021. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's it, it's interesting because the marketing plan that I'm seeing for the artists that are releasing music in 2022 and beyond still have online concerts as part of their initiative. They've realized that not only for the artists to be able to situate themselves in one place and broadcast to the world, um, but the fact that you could broadcast to the world is something that we, we've seen um, some real creative sides and real creative talent um, using video, whether it's um, the official video for for the for the song, a lyric video, slideshows, live videos, um, acoustic videos. I've I've seen artists that have made videos with the instrumental there, the lyrics written below, but taking away the vocals as to kind of tease the audience into I'm going to give you everything but how the actual song goes. Hmm. And that's 
you know, I, I think when, when artists are up against the wall, figure out how to survive through all of this because nobody was giving them a handout. You know, the first, you know, they were one of the first industries to be shut down during COVID and they were one of the last ones to, to reopen. In fact, right now, we're still seeing cities across Canada that's going back into, um, you know, a little bit of, a, of an isolation period and shutting down live music. So we could be in this situation for a while, at least the next year or two. We're chatting with uh, music commentator and publicist Eric Alper here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. You mentioned the Beatles. They're another thing that I was thinking about, another thing, another entity, a, a phenomenon that continues to live and is in fact growing, which is amazing to see. Uh, the Get Back docuseries is just a phenomenal glimpse at how they created uh, what they did. The, the genius behind how they did it is on full display. If you're an artist, and I've talked to a bunch of them about, about the, the Get Back documentary. Um, they couldn't make it past the first part, which is two hours long. And it wasn't that they weren't, but they all know that recording and writing songs in the studio is their personal version of hell. It is, <laughs> it's not something that they ever want to put themselves through. It takes them months to come up with one word or one line for a soon-to-be classic song. Um, so, you know, for everybody else, people like me who think that writing songs and recording is just a form of magic of like, I can't do it. I, I'm fascinated with all of that. But the fact um, that it seemingly took the blame of the breakup of the Beatles away from Yoko Ono and just onto those four guys themselves who were quite frankly just done with one another. They were, you know, together in, in close quarters for seven years. And at the time, nobody expected any band to last for four years. Forget about, you know, 10. Um, nobody knew what the Beatles name was going to be worth. Nobody knew that 30 years, 40 years, 50 years from now, we would be still listening to them. But the fact that, you know, bringing this on to the who that it did um, kind of only served the purpose that we still can't get enough of those guys from Liverpool. We are going to chat uh, with uh, Eric Alper a little more after the break about, uh, well, some of the other big happenings in the world of music, including Adele's reemergence. Uh, what a uh, burst out of the scene yet again with another blockbuster album. Has many people excited and uh, loving her music once again. I, I mean, there's not many people that I've come across that do not like her music. She does a phenomenal job. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are taking a look back at the year that was in music and what a year it was. A lot of highs, eh, some lows as well. Here to help us out is Eric Alper, music commentator and publicist. And apart from the Beatles, Eric, there was another reemergence, and we're listening to a little bit of it here. That was the return of Adele, who stormed onto the charts once again. Yeah, you know, this week she actually becomes the first artist in music history to have three songs, one each from her last three albums, hit the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 for seven or more weeks. It's the fact that she takes her time, writes the songs that she wants to, is able to connect with that audience. And even if she's got co-writers for some of the songs, she emoted in the way believable that this is actually from her life. You know, the um, and, and it's not like that she's writing and recording music that is hitting today's music sounds. You could listen to 19 or 21 or 25, her past albums, 
as if it was yesterday because it just it's just a classic sound that has never really gone away with the new album 30 there was a huge appetite that just dominated the media structure with her live or at least live to tape performance in la the interview with oprah her dramatic weight loss her divorce um uh, you know, her feelings and thoughts about her son during this time of COVID. Uh, and she came out with, with an album of soon-to-be classic songs. So good for her on all of that. Our guest is uh, Eric Alper, music commentator, publicist. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Two major events this year, one at the start of the year and one that just occurred this past weekend, and that was the great and the Arkells really... Uh, I mean, they, they've exploded on the scene before. Have they entered or reached another echelon in terms of popularity and exposure? Yeah, you, you know, people kind of devalue the CFL, but it's it's seen and heard and talked about around the world because of the of, of the difference in the game between that and the NFL. And um, you know, the Arkells have certainly brought a whole new status, not only to the band, but awesome and great Canadian artists that get to play that halftime show following in the footsteps of a blue rodeo and the tragically hip. And it sends a message to the CFL office that you don't need to go back and find an international act like a Maroon 5 or Black Eyed Peas. You can go to a Shania Twain. You can go to an Arkells and be just as entertaining and, in fact, probably get even more of an audience because of that hometown pride of having that band perform the halftime show in their hometown was super special um, and no means do I think that the fix was in. The other big event that featured a Canadian artist was the Super Bowl and the weekend playing the halftime show way back in February. Seems like a long time ago. Um, but that, I mean, he was popular before. That uh, just sent him into another stratosphere as well. Yeah, you know, when you when you talk about the Super Bowl in the weekend, it sounds like it was like 10, like 10 years ago. <laughs> it, it's just like, oh, really? That was like only like 11 months ago yeah. or so? But, you know, he had a monster year. In fact, the Billboard team brought out the biggest songs in music history um the weekend's blinding lights knocked off chubby checkers the twist as the number one song in music history it's still on the billboard it has the most weeks at number one it had the most weeks that number in the top five in the hundred it's almost astounding um, but thanks to social and instagram you're able to reach people a lot further and a lot stronger than say songs on the radio like they used to he put on a, a performance spent a lot of his own money um because you are for, for, for so all of that money is really his spent you know he was very mean on the next day when he was seeing the mirrors it seemed like that's all twitter was talking about <laughs> if there is one thing someone something in 2022 that we should be keeping an eye on music or entertainment related what, what do you think that thing is going to be um you know i I think it's just going to be the way that music is going to be consumed. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of music documentaries this year on Flix and other streaming services from Air Grande and Justin Bieber um, and the band um, to the Beatles. And I think that as the, the music streaming services as per stream, the artists have to find ways to diversify where their income is coming from. And I'm talking about just indie artists and superstar artists that are used to making their money. Um, so with touring the way that it is, it's going to get really, really crowded out there in 2022 and 2023 when all of these artists that had their shows and their tours canceled, they're all going to be out on the road 
fighting for our time, our attention, and more importantly, our wallets. So we're going to see a lot more autobiographies. We're going to be seeing a lot more documentaries. And we're going to see a lot more artists continue to sell their music catalog for tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars so that they can collect their income now and worry about what happens 100 years from now when they're long past being on this planet. It's been an amazing year. It's been an interesting one as well in uh, in music. Eric, uh, thanks for uh, shedding a light on some of the big happenings and your insight into them over the last uh, 12 months. Uh, Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all the best in the new year, and we'll chat with you in 2022. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. Eric Alper, music commentator, publicist, reflecting on the biggest stories in the year that was in music. And uh, I know he had a lot of great things to say. For me, uh, some of the biggest stories, obviously, you know, Arkell's playing the Grey Cup. That was massive, especially in this market. But, I mean, they got uh, even more um, national exposure, which is great to see. The weekend at the Super Bowl, not only was it a tremendous performance, but it you know, further heightens the awareness that Canada is producing some amazing artists, whether it's Drake or The Weeknd or Arkells, um, you name it. Um, we are producing some amazing, amazing musicians and artists. And I don't, you, you might not be a fan of them, but uh, they are making some waves in the music industry. And I think one of the other big stories in music and, uh, and Eric kind of referred to this in our previous segment, is the emergence of musicians or songs that are uh, either catching fire, going viral, or helping videos go viral on TikTok. A lot of TikTok videos have songs, and it's just another application or another piece of software or an app where musicians can live. And we know they've dominated places like YouTube, certainly, you know, Billboard Hot 100 or Hot 200 or whatever the case is uh, for years. But using TikTok now to, uh, you know, find new audiences is uh, absolutely massive as well. So another big story in the music industry. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Zumper has released its latest Canadian national rent report. It analyzed hundreds of thousands of listings last month to examine median rent prices across the 23 largest cities in this country. And it shows that Hamilton is very close to the top 10 most expensive rental markets in this nation. Crystal Chen is a senior PR manager with Zumper and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning, Rick. So how do the numbers shake down here in Hamilton? So as you mentioned, Hamilton ranked as the 11th most expensive city um, in the nation when beds were currently priced at a median of $1,450 and two beds at $1,770. Um, notably, um, both one and two beds are up year over year with one beds up over 8%. And two bedroom uh, rental rates up 6%. That's a pretty big jump, but not the biggest jump and not the biggest price. Vancouver is in at number one and man, oh man, is it ever expensive, expensive to live in Vancouver? Yeah. Um, Vancouver is the most expensive city currently with one beds at 2,100. So significantly more, um, than Hamilton. Uh, rental rates for one and two bedroom apartments in Toronto went down, which is kind of interesting to know. What's happening in Toronto? So Toronto has been interesting because it was uh, dethroned as the most expensive city by Vancouver this year, actually. Um, it just didn't recover as quickly as Vancouver. I mean, it is it is on um, the recovery path now um, with one beds at 1850 and two beds at 2330, which is the highest it's pretty much it has been all year. Um, but yeah, at the 
the pandemic last year, just a lot of people seem to have moved out um, and renters are slowly kind of trickling back in now, um, probably from renters who want to snag up a good deal since Toronto rents have, haven't been this low in, in many years. Um, but year over year rents are still down for both one and two bedroom types in Toronto. Do rental rates usually fluctuate throughout the year or are they consistently going in one direction? So on a regular year, um, before the pandemic happened, um, there is seasonality where um, rents will, there's a higher demand around summer, late spring, summer and fall. That's when a lot of people's leases are ending and then they start to move. So there's a lot more competition, the demand goes up and usually it's slower around um, now, around the winter time. So if people are looking for a good deal, although there are less options, um, usually landlords will price their units lower um, just to fill their vacancies before the the holidays. So usually rents are a little bit cheaper now, but the pandemic has kind of changed a few things. (laughs) It's not as as regular anymore, um, but that's how it would go normally. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Crystal Chen, Senior Public Relations Manager at Zumper. We're analyzing rental rates across the country, and Hamilton is in at number 11 as the most expensive rental market in Canada last month. Um, when you're looking at uh, the seasonality, as you mentioned, uh, university and college uh, towns will probably have a little bit more volatility in that regard, I would imagine. Yes, definitely. Um, with, I mean, when school's out or during the summer, everyone wants to move home or, you know, there's a, there's a large influx of um, people moving out. So yes, especially in, in college and university towns. What does this report tell us in regards to um, looking ahead to 2022? Is there any data that we can compile uh, or, or um, you know, uh, decarpmentalize in this report, in a, an annual report to forecast what's going to happen next year? That's that's hard um, with with, you know, COVID being so unpredictable right now. Um, I mean, normally I would expect um, rents to kind of continue to to inch up as, you know, borders are opening and, and people are kind of returning back to the office. Um, I mean, with the new Delta variant, I'm unsure <laughs> how that's going to play out. Um, but it seems, though, as though um, the Canadian market has the rental market has been recovering the last few months so i would expect at least in you know q1 earlier next year that rents will just continue to um inch up in in um a lot of the main markets yeah rightfully so especially with the housing market being so tight a lot of people wanting to jump into the rental market because that's really the only thing that they can uh, afford crystal really appreciate the time today thanks for breaking down uh, this report for us Of course. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Crystal Chen, Senior PR Manager at Zumper. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.